Mother's Day, I always think about Miriam. You know, my wife, I've been around her a long time, and we've had kids for quite a while. 27 years, I think our oldest one is, or in that general vicinity. One of the things Miriam used to do for them is she would make them um, notes to leave, like, in their lunch boxes. I always liked that a lot. So I asked him this week, I said you know, to the older girls, did that mean anything to you when you got to high school? I'm thinking, by high school, they probably don't care. And they were like, oh, no, Daddy, that was great. We loved that. And, and so I, I found some notes that aren't maybe as sweet as the ones that my wife left. And so I thought I'd share a, little, a couple of those with you this morning. Um, the first one is, please don't trade these for a Twinkie. What kid is stupid enough to trade a Twinkie for that? I mean, good grief, it's not going to happen. Um, this next one is brilliant. Every, every parent, this next one is brilliant. Want today's Wi-Fi password? Make your bed, vacuum downstairs, walk the dog. That is <laughs> holding the Wi-Fi password hostage. Brilliant. That is brilliant. Uh, a couple more. This next one is a little passive-aggressive. Uh, Kevin and Molly, I worked very hard on this kitchen today. The counters and sinks were clean and empty. I also washed the floor. If you don't leave the kitchen the way you found it, I will punch you in the throat. Uh, so... <laughs> But she did put love, mom, so, you know, like, love, mom. Uh, this next one, sometimes our mothers need to challenge us with our notes. So this one is a challenge. This juice box does not have a straw. It's to test to see if you can survive in the wild. Good luck. <laughs> Challenging. Uh, the concept of ice cream is that it needs to stay in the freezer to stay ice cream. Now it's just cream. Uh, that, now that one is passive-aggressive. Um, I forgot, oh, what, I forgot to, to buy more snacks. I hope my love is enough to fuel you to get you through the day. Uh, it's not, uh, just so you know, not enough. Now, the next one is from a kid, very sweet, to his mom. Thank you, Mom, for making me food so I don't die. I, I just think that's very sweet. <laughs> the next one, the mother might not be the best cook because he says, thank you, Mom, for being wonderful and caring and for not making your meatloaf anymore. So, <laughs> sometimes... It goes the other direction. I posted the question on Facebook, and it, it was this. What's your favorite thing to do to celebrate Mother's Day? It was kind of interesting. There were five things that sort of just jumped off the page. There were a few other little stragglers in there. But by far, the majority answers were these five. Uh, one is to be with family, to go to church, to eat but not cook. That was the big thing. Uh, we want to eat, but we don't want to cook. Uh, to relax and to remember. And so what's really interesting, I, I've been working through these feasts in the Old Testament. And the feasts in the Old Testament were God saying, remember some stuff. And so I was almost, I almost tempted to go, let's do something else for Mother's Day. But I'm going to tell you the truth. This feast is kind of a Mother's Day feast. Because there were certain things, in fact, you did all five of these things. If there was a feast for Mother's Day, it would have been this feast. And so we're going to go ahead and talk about it. Now, the feast is sometimes called the Feast of Booths, uh, B-O-O-T-H. Uh, I said that to our men's uh, Bible study on uh, Saturday, our men's prayer group, and they thought it was the Feast of Booths. They were very excited. Uh, not the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Booths. But we're going to call it something else. It's usually called uh, the Feast of Shelters, or um, the Hebrew word is Sukkot. They called it Sukkot, and it's going to make sense in just a minute. But we'll call it one of those two. Now, these feasts were established by God, and God basically was saying, I need you to remember some stuff so that you can not fall into temptation. 
And so let's look at how it was established. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Begin celebrating the festival of shelters on the 15th day of the appointed month. Uh, one of the confusing things is these, like I said, these uh, feasts sometimes get different names. And, and it's the same feast, but it has different names. So Feast of Shelters, we're going to call it Sukkot today. Uh, the, fe- the festival to the Lord will last seven days. God wants them to really remember. And so I don't know uh, how your vacation works, but sometimes between Christmas and New Year's, for some people, you get the whole week off. And So this is a week-long festival. Everybody was supposed to come to this. All the men were going to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this particular feast. By the way, really interesting. In John 7 and 8, uh, it talks about Jesus attending this feast. And we're going to talk about that next week. So this is like a part one of two parts. Did anybody ever watch Happy Days growing up? Anybody watch Happy Days? Remember when Fonzie jumped the shark? And he was over the shark, and then it said, continue next week. Well, that's going to happen to you today. I'm going to give you some of it, but I'm not going to give you all of it. But it's really interesting. And so this, this feast was about celebration. And if you'll notice, the five things that the women want for Mother's Day are all kind of here. The family attends. It's a celebration. It's like a worship service. Uh, you do no work. Uh, you're not supposed to work. You're, you're going to eat, but you're not going to uh, cook. And you remember... And remembering, I think Mother's Day, I think we have these holidays to remind us of some stuff that sometimes we take for granted. I was thinking about Miriam and all that she does for our family, and, and she just does so many things. You know, we, we notice it most when she goes to visit her mom. You know, she'll go to Texas and visit her mom, and uh, Elise and I will stay home, and, and uh, that means that we have to cook for ourselves, uh, which means we go to Arby's a lot, and uh, so we don't really do much, and, and Miriam does so many things, but one particular thing she does that I just, uh, a couple actually, I, I love that she uh, always has fruit in the house, that's kind of her thing, we got to have fruit, but one of the things she does around Christmas time is she makes our daughters... Uh, the, the Advent gifts. She wraps Advent gifts for them. Uh, Advent was something big for her as a kid, and so it, she made it big for our kids. And so she buys 30 little gifts for all four daughters. I'm not good at math, but that's like 120. Uh, a lot of little gifts. And it, it'll be something like lip balm, or it'll be, you know, like uh, hairpins and stuff. It, it's never, I'm thankfully, it's never anything really, really big. But little gifts, and they, they get to open one a day. And I asked the girls one time, do you care that she does that? And they're like, oh, that makes Christmas for us. It's really important to us. And so we remember what, what our mothers do for us, and the reminder makes us thankful. And God reminds us of some things he's done for us. In fact, he was reminding the Israelites, but it applies to us too. And... Uh, usually remembering leads to thanksgiving. And so, in this feast, they had to do some things. They had, to, <laughs> they had to build a makeshift shelter. They had to um, carry some, uh, some vegetation and, and uh, offer it as a wave offering to God, and then they had to offer some sacrifice, some animals as sacrifice. We're going to look at all those in just a second. Um, so, the three things the coat teaches us. Number one, deliverance. So he's saying on the first day, you're to take branches from luxuriant trees, whatever those are, from palms and willows. He explains palms, willows, 
and leafy trees and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Live in temporary shelters for seven days so that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You had to build, these things were called sukkahs. Uh, that's why we get the word sukkot is plural of sukkahs. And all over Jerusalem, there would be these little makeshift tents or these little makeshift shelters that were built out of just whatever you can find. In fact, the definition of a sukkah is a makeshift hut. And so you would see these at harvest time because people who were working out in the field, when they needed a break, if they didn't have trees around, they would build these little shelters out of the stalks of whatever plants they were cutting down. And they would build these little shelters to get, to get relief from the sun. And so it had something to do with harvest, but it also had something to do with deliverance. When God delivered the people out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness, and they built these little makeshift huts. And they wandered for 40 years. Now, I don't know if you can put your mind around that. You, you're, you're in this place, and you build this makeshift hut for my family, and then we have to move. Maybe you stay here a day, maybe you stay here six months. We don't really know how long they stayed in places, but then they go to this next place and you have to do it again. And you're never settled for 40 years. Now, women are natural by nature nesters. I can't imagine moving around all the time for 40 years and living in makeshift huts like this, but that's what the Israelites did. And God wanted them to remember and during this holiday, depending on the skill set of your father, you might only want to be in one of those for seven days. But it was really interesting. You constructed them in such a way that through them you could see the stars. So this is kind of an example of one. They didn't want to build them too good because you want to be reminded that this wasn't your home for good. And you would eat your meals there. And in fact, Jews even today build these. If you're in New York, in a Jewish part of the city, they put some of these on balconies. And you can find them in places. And so this is still something that is celebrated. Now, why would God lead people to live in makeshift huts for a week? And today, by the way, they, they mostly just uh, share their meals out there. They don't particularly live in them. But still, God was trying to make a couple of points. One point is this. Sometimes you have to go through difficulty to reach reward. Forty years in the wilderness. My wife and I have been married 32 years. We've moved 16 times. Miriam would be great at this, but I'm not sure everybody's like that. And so they were reminded, oh my word, sometimes you have to go through difficulty to reach the reward. It sounds a lot like labor, doesn't it, ladies? Are those of you who've had kids? I remember Miriam, our first child, Amaris, was born. And Miriam decided she was going to do that uh, without any medication. Kind of little house on the prairie. I mean, she was going to uh, be tough, and, and uh, she was tough, and she had that baby without any meds. Second baby, <laughs> she decided that was stupid. And uh, uh, she was going to have an epidural. And I remember how traumatic that was when the, when the guy came in with that needle that looked like a harpooner's way, uh, you know, a whaler's harpoon. I mean, it's like this long. I swooned. I about passed out. And I'm sure the labor was tough, too. Uh, but uh, uh, sometimes you go through difficulty to reach the reward. And, and sometimes that happens for us. We go through tough stuff. We go through difficult times. We journey through some wildernesses in our lives to get to the promised land. But we all do it. There's a guy named Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. He wrote this book called Philippians. And in this, he writes it from jail. Now, 
I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I'm going to tell you the truth. If I'm in jail for Jesus, I am singing the blues. I'm asking for a harmonica. I, I you know, nobody knows the trouble I've I am, I am not going to be happy about it. Paul somehow has a perspective on life where he's able to write this. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here in jail has helped me <laughs> spread the good news. Hey, this is a bad... I'm, I'm, I'm walking through some wilderness here, but... There, there's good things are happening even in, in jail. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains for Christ. Well, you want to know how the guards knew? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a guard would be chained to Paul so he couldn't get away. Now, what's interesting is they chained him so Paul couldn't get away. Well, what really happened was the palace guard couldn't get away. And every time Paul talked about Jesus, the palace guards heard. It's likely that every one of them heard about Jesus because that's what Paul talked about most. A bad situation, God is somehow redeeming for good because he does that a lot. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained uh, confidence and speak boldly God's message without fear. See, sometimes we go through really difficult circumstances. And here's something else that we, when we live in shelters we learn. When we were walking through the wilderness, we learned that deliverance doesn't always match our expectations. A lot of times we just want God to take us out of it. And Paul was saying, look, uh, what happened in the middle of it was actually better for, all, for, for the kingdom. It's not always about our comfort and our ease. It's just not always about that. And so, when we're in the midst of this, maybe our prayer doesn't need to be, God, deliver me from this, but maybe we need to say, Father, what are you trying to show me and where are you trying to grow me? There's a reason for this, and if God doesn't deliver you immediately, if you don't get out of the wilderness right away, there's probably a reason. So maybe we just stop asking God, take me out, and maybe we just say, God, show me what you're trying to teach me today. Because sometimes we just need to understand God is in control. The question ultimately is, do I think God knows what's best for me? Many of us just need to cling to this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him. He works everything together. Sometimes to get gain, you have to experience pain. It's just how it works. Something else that living in the shelters was teaching them, that was their roots. They had to learn their roots. Live in temporary shelters for seven days so your descendants will know. See, None of these people that were living in shelters in the, in the holiday of Sukkot had ever lived in shelters. They just had heard about it. So I was thinking, I, I contacted my mom this week, and I said, Mom, did, tell me about your upbringing. Um, and I didn't want to be too kind of snarky, but I said, um, did you always have indoor plumbing? <laughs> my mom's comment was, I didn't have indoor plumbing until I got married. My dad's pickup line was, hey, honey, I have an indoor toilet, uh, evidently. Can you imagine? She told me they didn't have refrigeration, a refrigerator until she was 10. Uh, what did we do before refrigeration? We all know refrigeration, right? We all know it. My dad quit, work, uh, quit school when he was 14 to drive a truck. My, my grandfather was brilliant, but alcohol got a hold of him, and really he just neglected his family. 
And my dad had to, he was the youngest son and he had to take a job to help pay the bills for the family when he was 14. My mother (laughs) tells me that she plowed the fields with mules when she was a girl. Who knew? I mean, we don't know these things. My father-in-law was one of eight children. He was the oldest and he's Swiss. And so uh, his responsibility in the family was to knit stockings and socks for all of his siblings. We, we have it so easy that we forget. Uh, I went to Tanzania a few years ago and, and uh, walked in these villages with mud huts and mud floors and outdoor plumbing and a well down there where you got the water and they ate corn because that's about all they had. And they ate lots of corn. We forget what God has done for us. And so unless we... Uh, take a pause, we just forget. Because here's the truth of the matter. It is easy to forget God when life is easy. And y'all, our lives are easy. Uh, you want water? You want to know what you have to do to get water? You go out there and you turn on a spigot. In, in Tanzania, you want to know what you have to do to get water? You have to walk down uh, the hill there where there's a well and you have to bring it back up and you have to carry it on your shoulders. We have it very easy. And if we're not careful, we forget what ease we have and we forget God in the process. The Israelites found themselves between a rock and a hard place. They were kind of in a bad way. And God can do amazing things. I think I skipped one. Yeah, God can do amazing things. The Israelites find themselves between a rock and a hard place. They've just been um, emancipated from Egypt. So now they're free, they're finding their way to the promised land, they reach the Red Sea, and now all of a sudden they notice that Pharaoh has changed his mind, he doesn't want them free anymore, and so he, uh, they turn around, they've got the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptians on the other side. And God says to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the Red Sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and one on the left. Amazing. Now, (laughs) the Egyptians weren't just going to let them go. Free labor is really hard to find. In fact, today, any labor is really hard to find. If you've noticed, there are uh, uh, hiring signs all over the place. Well, Egypt was full of hiring signs, except they wanted free labor. They had had free labor. Now it was getting away, and they could see them leaving. And so Pharaoh and his band of ar- this army uh, chases them. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. When the Israelites left Egypt, they took a few things. They took some livestock, they took some jewelry, and they took no fighting skills. They didn't know how to fight. You're not trained in warfare as a slave. In fact, you're intentionally not trained to fight. Because you wouldn't want an uprising if you were the Egyptians. So they kept them weak. And now all of a sudden, it really looks bad. The Israelites are through the Red Sea, the Egyptians are coming quickly, they have this trained military, they know uh, this isn't going to be a fair fight, fight, this is going to be a slaughter. If the Egyptians catch up to the Israelites, it's going to be a slaughter. It's just going to be horrible. 
And then God intervenes because He is a delivering God. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters will flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh. Not one of them survived. God is a delivering God. It's just what He does. Now, I don't know what God has delivered you from, but we should be thankful. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's guilt or resentment. If you're a follower of Jesus, He's delivered you from an eternity separated from God. In fact, I love this text. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that we're saved. And so the deliverance that we need to remember is God has delivered us from sin into life, from death to life, great thing. Now, there's this sort of triad of of feasts in the fall. We talked about a couple of them. There was the Feast of Trumpets, that was very somber. There was the Day of Atonement, very somber. This feast is very, it's a party. Uh, it, it is very big and lively and joyous, and sometimes it's called the Feast of End Gatherings. It would happen at the end of the harvest season, and the, end, the very last thing you harvest in Israel are the, the things off of trees. And so you'd get the, um, the, the uh, olives, and you'd get the pomegranates and things like that. Uh, you'd, you'd gather uh, grapes off the vines. You'd get stuff off the ground. That was the last harvest. And this was a Big celebration. Seven days of celebrating. And one of the things, another thing that God was teaching them was provision. On the first day, you're to take branches from these luxuriant trees and rejoice before the Lord. And they would take this sort of cluster. Let's see if I have a picture. So this left little thing that it's called an etrog, it is like a, um, like a lemon. And then they have these branches and they would wave them before God because God had provided. There's a warning and it happens often in Scripture. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord because it's easy to forget God when life is easy. Uh, They were about to enter a promised land. And look what it says here. For when you become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when you have flocks and herds, and they've become large, and you have lots of gold and silver, be careful. Do not become proud. It is super easy to become proud. How did you feel back in March and April when you went into the grocery stores, and there were things there that you wanted that you couldn't buy? Remember that? I mean, it's only been a year ago. I remember going in thinking... You want to know what wasn't in short supply? Oatmeal. Nobody likes that. But anyway, uh, there, there, was, uh, there was stuff in short supply, and you want it, but you can't get it. And I don't know if you felt this way, but I felt oh, it could always be this way. I took a mission trip to Russia one time right after Perestroika, and they had just gone from communism to whatever they went to. It wasn't really democracy. It was something else. But uh, I remember going into uh, the grocery stores, and there were just... Uh, shelf after shelf after shelf after shelf of nothing. And I just I thought to myself, oh my word. So, Sukkot was this celebration of the harvest. God had given them plenty. And it was a, hey, beware, because it's easy to forget God when life 
is easy. And then God reminded him, I've provided for you. Look, for all those years, 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Ladies, 40 years in the same clothes. Woo! Uh, uh, do not forget that He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with His poisonous snakes and scorpions uh, where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you manna in the wilderness. And He's saying, look, I've provided for you these, this indestructible wardrobe. It, it, you wore the same sandals for 40 years. I mean, think about the marvel of that. I, I gave you water. I gave you protection. I gave you manna. The word manna literally means what is it? It's the original wonder bread. They didn't know where it came from. They collected it every day. And God continued to provide it. And they would wave these branches, this, this stuff I talked about, and they would say, God, thank you. And they would, they would say this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His faithful love endures forever. And they would wave it to the north and the south and the east and the west and the up and the down. And the kids would do it, and the rabbis would write about this, and they would say, If you've never seen Sukkot, you don't know what joy really is. Think of your most joyous occasion and multiply it a hundred times. This was Sukkot. Fasting and funerals were forbidden. This was a time to party. Anybody that could play an instrument, played an instrument. They would walk through the streets. They would play these instruments. You would uh, hear people banging tambourines and, and cymbals. And they would be playing their instruments. And if they couldn't, they would sing. And if you couldn't sing, you stomped your feet. It was just a party. It was a party. And God was saying, I need you to remember my provision. We do it sometimes. I don't know about you, but I pray before every meal, but I don't think about what I pray before every meal. I do pray, I just don't always think about it. God has provided that meal for us, and sometimes we just take it for granted because it's easy to forget God when life is easy. The last thing, there's a responsibility those of us who are followers of Jesus have. We, we just have a responsibility. Now, this text in Genesis is to the Israelites sort of have a, a forefather. His name was Abraham, and God makes him a promise. And he says, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. Really important. You'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. There's this odd thing that happened at Sukkot. They built these shelters. They waved these plants. By the way, that was interesting. One was a palm branch. One was a myrtle. One was a, um, a willow. And they would wave these three different branches and this fruit. And they would say, God, uh, thank you. And then they would offer sacrifices. Now, depending on what source you read, it was either bulls or oxen, either one really expensive. We, they were offering God their very, very best. And the instruction was this, really odd. On the first day of Sukkot, you offered 13 oxen or bulls. On the second day, 12 is kind of descending. It's like uh, on the 12th day of Christmas, uh, on the 12th day of Sukkot, uh, you offered, you know, uh, it's kind of how it worked. So, uh, first day you offered 13, second day 12, and incrementally down. And the total was 70. Really interesting. Now, 
In the Old Testament in Genesis, there's this text around which God is talking about Noah's descendants, and there were 70 of them. And the idea is that the 70 na- there are 70 nations that all came out of Noah. And so what the Jews were doing when they offered these 70 bulls was they were saying, we are making an offering for everybody. God's provision is for everybody. God's deliverance is for everybody. It's just a really cool thing. Then on the eighth bonus day, you have seven days of Sukkot, and then like a bonus day of Sukkot, and they would offer one more, and that was one for Israel. But they, they took to heart their responsibility to bless all people. It, it just reminds us, this whole festival reminds us, look, we're all kind of journeying through life I love this text. Paul says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, this Sukkot of ours, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself and not by human hands. We are not home yet. We get so worried about things. Worried about our life. Paul said, don't worry about your life. Jesus said, are you not much more important than your body? Look, we have a home in heaven waiting for us. It's much better. We're journeying. We're, we're working through. But it's, this isn't the end. Now, one last thing. Remember the picture of the Sukkot had one open side. The idea was you would invite your friends and your family and your neighbors and strangers into your home to share a meal. You were to live with open arms with open hands. You were to be generous people. You were to serve other people. It was a reminder that, hey, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Just like God said to Abraham, uh, I will bless all nations because of you. God gives us so we can give to others. Become generous people. Jesus put it this way. He said, you're the light of the world. And like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp, puts it under a basket. Instead, A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. We are called to live a life of generosity. We are to be a light for the world. So the question that we end with today is, How are we doing remembering God's goodness? He delivered us. He provides for us. He gives us responsibility. He challenges us to be people who are light in an ever-darkening world. So on this Mother's Day, as we remember the sacrifice and the gifts our mothers are to us and have been to us, let us also remember the gifts that God has been to us and given us. He's our deliverer and our provider, and we have a responsibility because of that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this reminder, for loving us, for taking care of us, for providing for us. Thank You for the gift of salvation through Jesus. And now, Lord, as we conclude, help us to be aware, mindful of all You do today, especially For our mothers, for for certain, let us treat them well. Let us be gracious and grateful. But also, remind us of what you've done for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.